On this staff edition episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we review recent news and discuss the patient registration process, advanced directives, physician notification, and grievances. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is brought to you through the generous support of our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information Systems, Intelair, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions, Medicus IT, and BHG Patient Lending. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our sponsors, all of whom have been carefully screened for the quality of their products and services and their dedication to the ASC industry. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCpodcast.com and please consider them for your center's needs. Welcome to episode 124 of the staff edition of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for February 7th, 2021, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. He is recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory, accreditation, and finance issues. So this is our second staff edition, and our mm-hmm. first one was a rousing success. It actually has uh, quickly uh, run up to be one of the, the most listened to uh, podcasts, certainly in the last 12 months. So uh, thank you for uh, listening. I'm, I'm hoping that the reason for that is that uh, people are, uh, are being encouraged by their administrator to mm-hmm. listen to this, and hopefully the information that we provide you is uh, going to be useful. And again, f- feel free to go to the ASCpodcast.com website if you want more information or want to have access to other podcasts that we've talked about. There's uh, mm-hmm. 120. 23 other episodes in addition to this. You can send us an email at comments at ASCpodcast.com and let us know if there's something you'd like us to, to cover in one of these. So let's uh, talk about some of the news that has come up recently, Sue. We had uh, one of our clients actually had a, a wonderful article about them in the um, in uh, Becker's ASC Review, which is another great website to go to, by the way, which is yes. beckersasc.com. Yep, we got a lot of information from them. So Joanne Vecchio, the administrator of the Ambulatory Surgery Center of Western New York in Amherst, and Patricia Graham, administrator at the Endoscopy Center of Western New York in Williamsville, New York, um, just discussed how, uh, you know, before the pandemic, um, as Joanne said, it was more or less you stayed in your own lane. Everyone worked independently within their own specialty and their own surgery center parameters. Once this pandemic hit, we were all in the same place. So the centers partnered to allow surgeons from other centers to perform surgeries when elective procedures uh, were banned in Erie County, New York, and they worked to get staff screened and vaccinated for COVID-19, among other efforts. The partnership helped centers develop relationships and standardized processes around COVID-19 testing supplies and um, human resources sharing. So as Patricia Graham 
had said, if we didn't have each other, this would have been a much different road. Yes, um, we're all in competition, but we all have things um, in common that we may need. It was great to have someone to lean on and share ideas. Well, and and this is another uh, indication of how well we all work together and encourage you as staff members to, uh, you know, develop good relationships and never burn your bridges, by the way, because you never know when you're going to be working with another center again. Uh, But develop good relationships with other ASCs, especially if you ever need supplies or anything uh, like that in in an emergency. We've always heard great stories about people cooperating uh, in, in making sure that even if they compete with them, that they have the proper supplies to do the procedures. Mm-hmm. Then we had another article uh, by Kelsey Waddell in uh, Health Payer Intelligence titled Ambitory Surgery Centers Could Save Private Payers $3 billion. And this article encouraged payers to promote ASCs as ideal sites for joint replacement surgeries to save money and optimize health and safety of patients. And it was estimated that using ASCs for those procedures could save $2 billion for private payers and $1 billion for federal payers. So yet another indication about how important ambulatory surgery centers are to our healthcare mm-hmm. system and how important all the work that all of our staff does in, in helping to keep healthcare costs down and how much more we could do uh, mm-hmm. if more of these procedures were moved over. And it also mentioned, by the way, this I thought was surprising, that the cost of administering medications is also mm-hmm. significantly lower in an ASC setting, which could save another $4 billion per year. And then I thought there was another interesting article called Ambulatory Surgery Centers Performed Essential Outpatient Surgery Safely During the First Months of the Pandemic uh, based on a survey. So this was a survey from ASCQuality.org, another great website for people to go to if you want information about the ASC industry. And it was a survey of more than 700 surgery centers uh, that found that ASCs continue to perform essential outpatient surgery safely during the March and April of uh, 2020 with patients facing virtually no heightened risk of contracting the coronavirus either during or following their procedures. The survey was developed and carried out by uh, the ASC Quality Collaboration, again, at ASCQuality.org. And then according to Ann Schimmick, who was the executive director at that time, unfortunately, uh, Ann has passed away since then, uh, but she indicated in this article, which was from October 8th, 2020, that the survey data confirms that ASCs, which had numerous safety protocols in place prior to the pandemic to prevent the spread of infections, can continue to perform essential surgeries without putting patients at greater risk of contracting COVID-19. And together with the additional COVID-19 safety measures, ASCs have a place today, including heightened preoperative screenings, additional sanitary measures, and air filtration protocols. ASCs can maintain a safe sanitary environment to treat patients while keeping the health professionals providing their care protected. And a total of 84,446 patients were included in this survey. Only 16 of those patients tested positive for COVID within two weeks after their procedures which is an extremely small infection rate of just 0.02%. It should also be noted that there's no way of actually knowing when or how the 16 patients became infected. And I thought what was particularly interesting, of the only two of the 16 infected patients required hospitalization, which was primarily due to respiratory issues, and no patients experienced cardiac issues, blood clotting, or kidney failure. So 84,446 patients and only 16 became infected within 14 days, and there's no way to know whether they were infected at the surgery center. As a matter of fact, we're mm-hmm. probably, probably a not. good chance that it was not, mm-hmm. given all the protocols that we have in place. Mm-hmm. And Sue, I thought uh, before we go into our focus here, I thought we would just mention uh, an issue that we had recently with uh, one of our centers that had a medication fridge that failed. Just a reminder that your medication fridge and your tissue fridge freezer, 
has to be constantly monitored. So you can have an electronic monitoring that has an alarm. You can have high-low, is it they're called, where, Monitors, where you can yeah. always monitor and see if it dropped below a certain amount when, when nobody was, was there, like overnight. Um, but make sure that you're documenting that. Um, if you're documenting it on a log, make sure that you're checking that twice a day and writing it in. And then save those so that um, you have some proof if something ever happens. We had somebody whose tissue had thawed out when, when this nurse manager had gone to get it out for the procedure. And she did. She looked back at the logs and there was no note for uh, probably a week before, right. a few days anyways. So she has no way of knowing when it happened. And my thought is, what if it had refrozen? Right. You know, and, and they wouldn't have known and they might have implanted um, damaged tissue. So... Just make sure you're doing that and that you save those things so you can you can kind of trace them if something ever happens down the line. And this again points out the importance of having some type of a process in place mm-hmm. to uh, assure that people do carry out their responsibilities here and also the cost. This was thousands of dollars yeah. of material that was lost here. And it probably, if, if uh, daily testing or a daily check had been performed there, they might have been able to save the tissue, mm-hmm. uh, might have caught the, uh, the problem with the, uh, the refrigerator, or the freeze, in this case, a freezer. Uh, before it had actually completely failed. Yeah, because it certainly doesn't thaw out that quickly. If, if it had happened and they hadn't opened the fridge in, in that amount of time, they certainly cut over. Some of those monitors will send a, a message to a right. to your cell phone to send an email or whatever, and you can you know find that out before you lose either medications or um, implants. So today's focus segment is on patient registration, advanced directives, notification of ownership, and grievances. And this is uh, this actually came uh, about as a recommendation from one of our attendees at our ASC Administrators Boot Camp. So as what we'll always try to do with our staff episode is start with uh, the regulations. And in an ambulatory surgery center, regulations are referred to as the conditions for coverage. And they're in a section called four six, Part 416 of the Federal Code of Re- Rules and Regulations. And uh, 416.50 is the applicable condition for coverage regarding patient rights. And it states, the ASC must inform the patient or the patient's representative or surrogate of the patient's rights and must protect and promote the exercise of these rights as set forth in this section. The ASC must also post the written notice of patient rights in a place or places within the ASC likely to be noticed by patients waiting for treatment or by the patient's representative or surrogate, if applicable. And the standard for uh, for the notice of rights states, an ASC must, prior to the start of the surgical procedure, provide the patient, the patient's representative, or the patient's surrogate with verbal and written notice of the patient rights in a language and manner that ensures the patient, the representative, or the surrogate understand all the patient rights as set forth in this section. The ASC's notice of rights must include the address and telephone number of the state agency to which the patient may report complaints as well as a website for the Office of the Medicare Beneficiary Ombudsman. So again, this is uh, very important, you know, uh, Go check right away to make sure that those signs are posted and that mm-hmm. on that patient rights and responsibilities, there is the uh, the notice of their ability to complain basically to the state agency or to the federal government through the Medicare Ombudsman Program. Mm-hmm. And you may have to, so, you know, writing in the specific address and phone number right. for, the, for the patient to call. So in addition to the actual conditions for coverage, there are interpretations that are provided to surveyors. So surveyors use this information when they're out on a survey. And these interpretations indicate that the ASC must ensure that the the written notice of patient rights is posted in one or more places where it is likely to be seen by patients waiting for treatment 
or the patient's representative or surrogate as, as applicable. And such uh, areas include but are not limited to waiting rooms or preoperative preparation areas where patients are awaiting care. Notices must be posted in at least one area. And whether the ASC must post more than one notice depends on the size and the physical layout of the areas where notices are posted. The determining factor is whether the notices are posted in a manner that all patients or their representatives or surrogates, as applicable, are likely to see the notice. So the size of your waiting room, whether your waiting room is kind of angled, where if they're sitting in one side, they may not notice it. And of course, as you said, it has to be in that pre-op or waiting room area so that they see it well before they... To get into the operating room. And lastly, we did mention or I highlighted the word verbal in written notice. So what we mean by this is that as part of the registration function, the registration clerk should be asking, must be asking the patient, did you receive a copy of your patient rights and responsibilities? Did you have any questions about it? And then have the patient sign indicating that they received it. Mm-hmm. So that that's usually what uh, qualifies for verbal notices. You don't have to read the entire patient rights and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Unless, but you, of course, they asked. If unless they, they ask understand. it. Correct. Correct. So our next standard moves on to disclosure of physician financial interest. And this, again, is from the Conditions for Coverage. And it states that the ASC must disclose in accordance with Part 420 of the subchapter. We're not going to go into that detail for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does that section does talk about financial interest in, in disclosure. And it continues and says, And where applicable, provide a list of physicians who have a financial interest or ownership in the ASC. Disclosure of the information must be in writing. So you have to disclose and have available a list of all the owners of the surgery center and must be prepared to provide that ownership information to a patient who asks for it and disclose to any patient regardless uh, of that if their, pa- if their doctor is an owner in the center. So the intent of this disclosure requirement is to assist the patient in making an informed decision about his or her care by making the patient or the patient's representative or their surrogate aware that physicians who refer their patients to the ambulatory surgery center for procedures or physicians who perform procedures in the ESC also have an ownership interest or a financial interest in the ASC. Mm-hmm. So the major intent here is, you know, you you want the patient to know, hey, you know, the doctor has an ownership interest here, and then they can make a determination as to whether uh, it's appropriate for that doctor mm-hmm. to uh, have an ownership interest in addition to referring them. And they do note that it has to be in plain language. You, you shouldn't have to be a lawyer. That's or, right, or an accountant you know, to understand yes, to it. Yeah. That out. And I know this is a problem since, as an accountant and as somebody that knows quite a bit about the law, I don't understand some of these disclosures. <laughs> so uh, definitely make sure that yours is mm-hmm. appropriate. The next standard is about advanced directives, and the ASC must comply with the following requirements. And Sue, this is an area that I found a frequent problem is that many registration staff don't understand these regulations, didn't have proper training on it. Uh, and and as a surveyor, uh, I always ask the, uh, the registration staff about this, and unfortunately about half the time they don't have any idea what I'm talking about. So why don't you tell them what the uh, conditions for coverage state? Okay, so they must... Provide the patient or, as appropriate, the patient's representative with written information concerning its policies on advanced directives, including a description of the applicable state health and safety laws and, if requested, official state advanced directive forms. So if they don't have an advanced directive, you you should... You need to offer that to them. If the state that uh, requires them to do that. Again, mm-hmm. those are state-specific. And inform the patient or, as appropriate, the patient's representative of the patient's right to make informed decisions regarding the patient's care. And document that in a prominent part of the patient's current medical record. 
of whether or not the individual has executed an advanced directive. And again, that's a problem that I find, uh, unfortunately, frequently too, is that there is no place in the medical record or the registration clerk uh, doesn't fill this out or says that they did have an advanced directive and there's no copy of the advanced directive mm -hmm. in the record. Mm -hmm. So... So the interpretive guidelines, again, the states provide interpretive interpretations for surveyors. So these are what the surveyors will be looking for when they come on uh, come on a site for a survey. The facility must provide the patient or the patient's representative as appropriate the following information in writing prior to the procedure. Information on the ASC's policies on advanced directives. So usually this is like a one, uh, one paragraph summary of what the policy is. You don't have to provide them an actual copy of the policy, but it needs to be summarized in a format that they can understand it. A description of the applicable state health and safety laws. Note that CMS does not determine whether this description is accurate. State survey agencies are responsible for making this accuracy determination. And if requested, official state advanced directive forms, if such exist. So again, you as registration clerks uh, need to have this information uh, available to the patients uh, and need to provide it every single time the patient comes mm -hmm. in. So, Sue, uh, one of the biggest problems that I find with advanced directives is that um, patients really do get confused with this. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't understand the policy, and especially if they walk in with a do not resuscitate order. And I've seen situations where the facility actually states, I'm sorry, I don't accept an advanced directive, which is actually a violation of their patient rights. Mm -hmm. what, what the facility really means is that they don't accept a DNR order, a do not resuscitate order, which is perfectly acceptable as long as you tell the patient prior to the procedure that that is your policy. You have to make sure, I would look through your paperwork and make sure that, that it's phrased that way. And if right. anybody asks you, make sure that, that you're giving them that correct answer. And most likely, if a patient has questions about the DNR order, you need to bounce this to a nurse or yes. to the uh, to the physician. I, I mm -hmm. prefer, uh, even as a nurse, I think it, uh, it's probably not appropriate for you to discuss question. it. It probably should be mm -hmm. the anesthesiologist mm -hmm. in the situation, with the more likely individual to be able to answer those questions. So, um and then lastly, I wanted to talk about um, the section on um, or the, the regulations regarding investigation of grievances. The reason we bring this up here is because one of the other uh, requirements in the uh, patient rights and responsibilities is that the patient needs to be informed of their ability to complain uh, if they feel like they weren't treated properly and how to complain. And this is what uh, the regulations require. An ASC must establish a grievance procedure for documenting the existence, submission, investigation, and disposition of a patient's written or verbal grievance to the ASC. And the following criteria must be met. All alleged violations and grievances relating but not limited to mistreatment, neglect, verbal, mental, sexual, or physical abuse must be fully documented. All allegations must be immediately reported to a person in authority in the ASC. And only substantiated allegations must be reported to the state authority or to the local authority or both. So, again, I don't – we don't need to go into a lot of detail here for uh, for the staff. But the grievance process must specify the time frames and um, all, in, all grievances must be investigated. So, if as a staff member, if a patient is indicated that they're not happy with the care that's been provided to them, uh, you need to bring it to the attention of your supervisor right away and assist the po the, uh, the patient in, in getting the proper information about how to express this. I think that we can avoid those written grievances or complaints mm -hmm. to state agencies or CMS or the accrediting organization if we have a good conversation.
conversation with the patient and we take care of it right away. The worst situation is when, you know, uh, staff members uh, know that there's a problem and don't react to it and don't work with the patient on that. Again, mm -hmm. we try to be very user-friendly places. Yeah. We want our patients to be very happy in any step that we can take. And, and I, I don't think this is a problem, actually, but it's just a good in, – in most surgery centers, I think everybody knows the process and we do – we take that extra step to to do that. But know that they do have a right to complain and if they don't get you know satisfaction while they're in the surgery center, they certainly uh, fully have the right to complain to a state or the accrediting organization. Mm -hmm. So let's finish by talking about the steps that you should have at the registration. So make sure that you offer a copy of the patient rights and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, they don't need to take it, but it must be offered. If it was given in the office or mail, make sure the patient signs off that they've received that. Answer any questions and ask if they have questions. This will usually satisfy the requirement for verbally informing patients of rights and responsibilities and make sure it's posted as applicable as we discussed earlier. You need to offer a copy of the patient privacy notice and notice that the patient privacy notice is separate and distinct from the patient rights and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And again, they don't need to take it. Uh, this is in order to comply with the HIPAA requirements uh, and may also make sure the patient privacy notice is posted and freely available in the center. And offer a copy of the ownership disclosure. Again, they don't have to take it, but you have to make sure you that you offer it. And I think we were discussing in our other in the other podcasts that the the surveyors can may ask almost really anybody in the center about right. if they're aware of these types of things. And as a matter of fact, that's so. what I do. You know, I, mm -hmm. as a surveyor, when I go in, I do follow a patient right from the very beginning to the end. And uh, as part of that, I'm, I'm watching over the shoulder of the registration clerk and I'm going to be asking her questions, her, mm -hmm. him and her, uh, you know, about the registration process. And I will uh, mention if I see that they didn't talk about any of these items, mm -hmm. you know, how did the patient, you know, maybe I missed it, uh, but I do want to know how the patient uh, was made aware of all this information. Yeah. And offer a copy of the advanced directive policy, which, as we said, can just be a small summary. Um, offer them information required by your state about advanced directives. Um, and then we didn't talk about this earlier, but you also need to make sure that they sign a consent to treatment. And a consent to treatment basically allows the patient to be treated by your staff. Now, this is separate and distinct from the procedural consent and from the anesthesia consent. This is uh, a document that they can sign in your stead. They don't. You don't have to provide. Uh, uh, this it's kind is kind of not, a general yeah, consent to treat, right? Right. And, it's not uh, informed consent in mm -hmm. this situation. Uh, and by the way, that, while we're on that topic, Sue, sometimes I go into centers and I see that the registration clerk is ask, uh, is asking the patients to sign off on the procedural consent or the anesthesia consent. Mm -hmm. That's not appropriate. Uh, that should be done in the back area. Yep. So, Even if the doctor says, you know, I'm going to answer all those questions when they get back there, it's not appropriate because they're, they're signing that they've had a chance to ask questions. Right, and right. That that they're, you know, any any questions have been resolved and, and they wouldn't have. Right. So, again, that should be done back in the uh, clinical area. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, before you finish, uh, obtain any registration information. And remember how important the registration function is for collecting uh, money in the end, you know, getting accurate information from the patient and, and filling that out in, the, uh, in the, the online system or whatever system you have is, is a critical uh, beginning step for being able to bill and collect appropriately. 
So thank you very much for joining us for this special staff edition of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. Remember, there's an awful lot of other information available at ASCPodcast.com, and you certainly have uh, the ability to go up and listen to any of the 123 other podcasts <laughs> that we've done over the past uh, three, three, uh, three or four years that we've been doing this. And uh, do us the, the honor of hitting the subscribe button so that you can be informed right away when a new episode drops. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information Systems, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions, BHG Patient Lending, Medicus IT, and Intel Air. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.